you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Coffee in California Politics. We do this every Wednesday at 9 a.m. We have a lot to cover, as I was saying before the technical difficulties before we hopped on. Uh, really, really a lot to talk about. Probably go over the full hour, so if you want to tune in, that's great. And if you want to listen to it later and you can't listen to it, that's why I record um, the audio version, so that you can check it out later um, and listen to it at your leisure. If you want to listen to it in little bits, listen to the podcast. If you don't subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, uh, like, review, share, all that stuff. That always helps spread the word about it. Tomorrow night, uh, I have my buddy on, uh, Ryan Carlson, who is an employment lawyer here in San Diego. We're going to be going over a lot of stuff when it comes to employment and all these mandates and stuff like that. So we're going to be talking about that, taking some questions as well. Uh, if you want to submit questions, we can do that as well. Um, other things to discuss today, other announcements. If you want to, uh, noodles merchandise is still available. Uh, I think you have to get it, your order in soon. If you want to get it before the recall, because it takes like a little bit to print and ship any of the shirts, their shirts, tees, sweatshirts, all that stuff. If you want to be decked out in noodle stuff right before the recall, um, tonight I'm going to go live with two different people. I'm going to go live with, uh, Brandon Tatum to talk about what's going on with the major Williams lawsuit, uh, a little bit more. We're going to talk about this morning briefly. Um, I'll be talking more in depth with him about last night. If you tuned in last night was informed with Anthony, we had Corinne and Camille on, uh, going over what is happening. And, um, then I'm going to be going live with Brian after that. We're going to be talking about this thing. We're going to be talking about this thing that everybody should be getting in the mail. Uh, this sample ballot, we're going to go over, we're going to go over our own predictions of what could possibly happen, uh, with, uh, with the recall and all that stuff. So lots of stuff to talk about, um, in terms of I think that's all the announcements. I think that's all the announcements. As always, 9 a.m. Wednesday morning, we always do this. Uh, whew, lot to get to. So what does everybody want to talk about first? I have a feeling I know what everybody wants to talk about first, and we'll hop right into that. I also want to talk about the federal lawsuit, which I've read, and it's kind of a joke lawsuit. I mean, it's such a Hail Mary attempt. It's one of the weakest petitions I've ever seen. It's just kind of like, we don't like these rules. And we're losing. So therefore, we're going to file this lawsuit in a vain attempt to try and stop it. We can talk about Afghanistan. Absolutely. I want to talk touch upon Afghanistan. That's why I said there's like there's so much to get to uh, this morning. But let's start with Major Williams and what's going on with that lawsuit and explain what's really happening here. Uh, so as you all know, at this point, Major Williams filed a lawsuit against three individuals, uh, Camille, Corinne and Lindy. Um, for a whole bunch of different things, economic torts, including like intentional interference with, um, uh, contractual relations, economic relations, all that stuff. Um, and then you talk about libel, slander, all that, all defamatory actions, stuff like that. Uh, so we filed what is called an anti-slap. So let me back up and give you a little bit of history about what is an anti-slap, an anti-slap, uh, We'll go all the way back to the 1970s. California passed a law, uh, this anti-slap law, which is 425.16 in the Code of Civil Procedure, California Code of Civil Procedure. You can look it up yourself. And it was 
passed because what was happening is you were having these plaintiffs who would sue people because they were exercising their free speech. Uh, and their free speech in terms of, okay, so let me back up a little bit more. I'm trying to really explain this. Uh, so what would happen is a plaintiff would sue somebody if they didn't like what you were saying about them. And they would say, oh, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to scare you into shutting up because nobody wants to be sued. No one wants to go to court. And usually most people would just back away and they'd be like, well, I don't really want to deal with this lawsuit. So I'll back away and I'll, I'll say like, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll cooperate with you and I'll drop this and I'll move on. And that was really becoming like a big rise and a big problem in California. It's it's a, sort of a big problem all over the country. There's actually anti-slap in like 30 states across the country. I think it's about 30 states. And so the legislature came up with this law and said, we're coming up with this law against these lawsuits, which they call slap strategic litigation against uh, public participation. And the goal was that if you were exercising your first amendment rights and your right um, under the California constitution, liberty of speech, uh, you could dismiss these lawsuits because you can see right through them that they're only used to scare people into dismissing or dropping or, or just going away and going away quietly. So the goal of it was that if people were speaking on behalf of a public issue, if they were speaking in a public forum, um, you can't sue someone. You can't sue someone who's exercising their First Amendment rights or their right to free speech if they're commenting on a public issue, a widespread public interest. Uh, and California even expanded it. It's one of the most expansive in the country. So there's a lot of things like even, I, you know, I was reading case law that even law firms, if you talk bad about law firms, that's protected speech because you want to let people know if they're a bad lawyer or not. So it's really, really broad. Um, and in this particular case, you have a public figure who is running for governor of California, the highest seat, the highest elected seat in the state. He's a public figure. He's put himself out there. And people always say when you're a politician, you put yourself out there and you open yourself all up to all sorts of questions and comments and stuff like that. And, you know, these, these women were just commenting on what was going on in the campaign. And now he's filed this suit, obviously, to try and scare them into. I mean, it was an attempt to try and scare them. It definitely didn't scare them. Believe me, I've spoken with them. It definitely hasn't scared them any more than it's really more emboldened them um, into trying to silence them. But this is falls squarely in anti-slap because this is a matter of widespread public interest. Someone running for governor is a big deal. Voters should know about it as well as, um, I mean, it's on social media. It's a public forum. Everyone can, can see it. So, it falls squarely into anti-slap. Um, not to mention case law in California is on our side because it says that questioning a public official is one of the highest forms of protected speech. It is a cornerstone of our republic to be able to question who is going to become our elected representatives. So there's a really high threshold to show that there was defamation, there was libel or slander. Um, and in terms of that, I don't want to get too like legally wonky. Uh, when you're a public figure, you have to show what actual malice and what actual malice is. So if you were talking about a public figure and even most of the times, I mean, like think about all the sites that talked horrible about every president, 
left, right, center. It doesn't really matter how much they said about him. Actual malice is when you share information to people recklessly and knowingly knowing that it's it's false and you knew that it was bad information. That's a high standard to prove because all you have to say as a defendant says, well, that's my good faith belief. It was shared with me um, and therefore it's not reckless and with disregard to the actual truth. So what happens now? If you're wondering what happens now, it's not a lawsuit against Major Williams. It's a motion to strike. And a motion to strike basically means if the judge finds in our favor, what will happen is uh, the judge will strike the complaint. Complaint's gone. Case is dismissed. Um, So that means that once you have a complaint dismissed, there's no more case because you need to base your entire lawsuit on the complaint. Uh, so at the end of the day, once you strike that complaint, case is over. You're done. You're out of court. Um, and basically, that means it's been decided on the merits. It's over. Like you can't come back later and say, "Well, I want to sue them again." No, no, no. Once you 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 lose at this at this stage, you're done. So you've wasted your opportunity. Uh, so that's basically what's going on with this lawsuit. That's what's going on with the motion. Uh, we feel pretty confident about it. I mean, at a certain point, you can only put so much case law in a motion before it just gets really, really long and over over the top. Um, so, you know, we, we feel really confident this falls squarely into an anti-slap. Um, no, I'm not being sued as well, just uh, the three defendants. And the thing about the anti-slap is it freezes litigation. So once an anti-slap is accepted, it freezes litigation. They can't amend their com- complaint. They can't add more people to it it's frozen. So that means now they, after the anti-slap is frozen or after the anti-slap is filed, the case is frozen and you can't do anything against it. Your their whole side has to try and oppose and beat the anti-slap, which we're very confident they won't be able to, because they won't be able to show that it's not a matter of public interest, which it absolutely is because he's running for governor. He even admits in his complaint that all of these uh, causes of action that he said arise out of him being a public figure about running for governor about donors. So he admits in his complaint that this is really all about him being a candidate and not being able to get donors to give him money because they they uh, put out all this information about him um, and we're speaking out about him and commenting on him. So that's where we're at. Uh, it's still very in the news stages. They still have to oppose and everything like that. Um, but that's the update on what's going on. Um, yeah. So I hope that's a good update. I'm going to be talking about more with Brandon later. I think so. He's a very busy man, so I wouldn't be surprised um, if he couldn't make it. But Brian and I are still going to talk about the recall, and we're still going to talk about the sample ballot and stuff like that. Now I want to talk about, I'm going to be switching gears. Well, not really. We're going to be talking about more lawsuit stuff. So all of you have probably heard at this point, Everyone said Newsom filed a lawsuit. Newsom himself didn't file a lawsuit. I don't know if this was somebody else who filed. Like, so these are two voters who filed a lawsuit. Uh, the voters' names are R.J. Bieber and A.W. Clark are suing Shirley Weber in the Western Division of the Central District of California. So this is a federal case because they believe it falls under the U.S. Constitution. Um, and it's one of the thinner or petitions I've ever seen. Like I, I put aside like a half an hour to go through it and comb through it and took me like less than 10 minutes to do so. Um, so I want to talk about this and explain why I don't really think this is going to go anywhere. I think it's going to be laughed out of court. Um, it's a, it's a very 
feeble attempt for them to try and stop uh, the recall through this legal process. And this all came about because Chemerinsky, who's a, a noted constitutional professor. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Nathan Fletcher as well. I want to talk about Nathan Fletcher. Like I said, there's so much to talk about today. I feel like I have to have like two cups of coffee to get through everything today because there's just so much to talk about. Uh, so this, this all started when Erwin Chemerensky, who is a noted constitutional professor, law school, they make you read his book and, and all about constitutional law. Uh, he came up with this idea and put it out there in the news and said, well, the recall really isn't constitutional based on this argument under the equal protection and due process and blah, 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 blah. So I guess after that, someone had the great idea. They must have read the article and said, oh, yeah, it's a great idea. We should sue and say it's it's not constitutional. And then we could get rid of the recall process altogether. And we can just, yeah, we could just, we could stop it. So forget the fact that either these voters are in on it with Newsom and they know that they might be losing or that these voters are really just desperate and they really love Gavin Newsom that much that they're willing to pay attorneys to do this on their behalf. Uh, it's a pretty feeble lawsuit and some of their stuff doesn't really make any sense of what their argument is trying to be. Um, so their main argument in their introduction is that Newsom could, re- excuse me, I'm sorry, Governor Noodles could receive more votes against his recall on issue one. Still a candidate who seeks to replace him and who receives fewer votes could be chosen to be governor. That's true. That's true. Gavin, uh, the, the question is, should he be removed from office? Yes or no. So technically you could receive more votes for the yes in support of Gavin Newsom than the person who's going to replace you. But that's not how the recall works. It's 50 plus one. So he could get, I don't know, 1.5 million votes in his favor, not necessarily for Gavin Newsom. Um, and then the next person could get who wins could get 300, 400, 500,000 votes. So that's what their argument is, is that it doesn't really count or it's not fair under the equal protection. Again, I've read this. I'm still trying to figure out what their real argument is. I think they're just really running with this like half-baked idea that Chemerinsky put out there. Nope, no disrespect to Chemerinsky. He's done a lot of good stuff for co- constitutional law. But I think this is a case where Chemerinsky and his bias kind of got away from him. Uh, the, the petition says the process is violative of the equal protection due process clauses of the Constitution's 14th Amendment because it flies in the face of the federal legal principle of one person, one vote and gives to voters who vote to recall the governor two votes, one to remove him and one to select a successor, but limits to only one vote, the franchise of those who vote to retain him and that he not be recalled. So that person who votes for recall has twice as many votes as a person who votes against the recall. This is unconstitutional, both on its face and as applied. Stop right there. Your argument's already dead in the water because that's not true. You can, right? You can vote no and still vote to support. And I think I got this mixed up a while ago. I'm going to pull out my handy little ballot just for this. It says, shall Gavin Newsom be recalled from the office of governor? It says, yes. Can it succeed Gavin Newsom as governor if he's recalled? So if it doesn't say this isn't like a a choose your own adventure uh, where it's like, shall Gavin Newsom be recalled? If you say no, and it says like, stop here. You can vote no. You can vote no. 
But you can pick a backup candidate, which people are doing. And that's why they're really trying to tell people don't vote on the second question if you vote no. Even if you vote or yeah, if you vote yes or vote no or whatever, don't um, pick someone on the second ballot because they don't want people to vote for somebody who might who's could probably replace them. So already your argument is really debunked because that's not true. You don't vote no and then stop. You can vote no and you get a vote to replace him in case. So you still get two votes. So I don't know where they came up with this idea that you only get one vote uh, if you vote no. Um, that's not true. We'll keep going down. Uh, says, indeed, and crucial here is that, quote, the right to vote freely for the candidate of one's choice is of the essence of a democratic society. And any restrictions on that right strike at the heart of a representative government and the right of suffrage kept being denied by a debasement of dilution of the weight of a citizen's vote just as effectively as by wholly prohibiting the free exercise of the franchise. Again, you still get to vote for a candidate of your choice. If you vote no, you can still vote for a candidate of your choice. You can still say, well, I support Gavin Newsom. I don't want him to be recalled, but just in case I'm going to vote for, I don't know, somebody else. And it goes on to say plaintiffs get to vote only once while all voters who vote in the favor of the recall, should they prevail on question one, will get two votes. This cannot stand and fails constitutional scrutiny. But again, they're they're lying because you do, it's not just one vote. When state law grossly discriminates against some voters by contracting the value of their votes and expanding the value of other votes, as here is the case, then since the question constitution provides that each vote should be given as much weight as any other vote, and then such state law cannot stand. This is so because one man or woman's vote is to be worth as much as another. But your vote is worth as much as somebody else's. Um, that's the lie that they're trying to push in this. And this is why it's such a laughable complaint or petition because they're lying. That's not true. You, it's not like you're getting more of a vote for somebody else. Um, no, yeah, you're not getting the person who votes. Yes. Does not get twice as much of the vote as somebody who votes. No, you still get to vote for a candidate to support or to replace Gavin Newsom. That's it. That's the end of your petition because you're you're allowed the ability to pick who his replacement is. So I don't understand this whole idea of, well, if you get to vote yes and you get to pick a candidate, you get to vote twice because you get to vote for two times. I don't really understand that. He goes on to say plaintiffs here are likely to succeed on the merits. I don't think so. Plaintiffs are likely to suffer irreparable harm and that they will have been deprived of their rights to have their votes count in equal weight with all votes in favor of recall and in favor of a candidate other than Governor Newsom. The balance of inequities tips decidedly in plaintiffs' favor and against the defendant. Clearly, a preliminary injunction is the public interest because it always... So they're trying to sneak this in and get a, a injunction to stop the recall on September 14th. Again, I, I don't think this is going to... This is not going to really pass... Because it's based on a lot. And that's it. It is all of eight pages. That's their entire lawsuit. So it's all of eight pages. And it's very, very sparsely argued. In the sense that they, it's their entire argument is based on that people who vote yes get twice as much as the vote as people who vote no. Uh, even though people who vote no can also vote to replace the person that 
replace Gavin Newsom. And so you're still getting the same amount of votes. It's not like you vote no and then you're disqualified from voting. You can still vote no and pick a backup candidate. Um, the other thing is, this has been around forever. You know, it's been around for almost 100 years at this point. Now, all of a sudden, they have a problem with the recall, which I find very interesting. Now, all of a sudden, they're desperate to get some sort of traction. Uh, they're, they're, they're really desperate to try and do something to get rid of this recall, which shows me that I, I think they might be a little scared that something's going to happen. And Gavin Newsom has a good chance of getting recalled. Who did I see this this morning? Uh, Nate Plastic of 536. Uh, he put out that the, the, what is it? the polling shows that it's within like the margin of error for yes and no, which is bad, really, really bad in terms of vote yes or vote no. And then there's undecided, usually undecided break towards or against an unpopular politician. And in this count, Newsom's very unpopular. Noodles is very unpopular, um, because, Nothing's really going right for Gavin Newsom. Oh, but now he's going to have Biden come out. He's going to have Kamala Harris, Kamala come out. Um, I don't know if that helps either. I don't think that helps, especially after Afghanistan, which we'll get to in a minute. But I don't think having Joe Biden and Kamala come out uh, really helps your campaign because people are going to look at the two of them and be like, uh, yeah, these are the people who are supporting you. Um, they are a disaster. And I don't I don't like them. There's a lot of virus remorse with Biden. Something interesting I saw when I was looking up about this specific constitutional amendment, uh, it is Article 2, uh, Section 15 is the specific. There's proposed legislation going through right now through the California Senate that they're trying to change the recall, how a recall is conducted. The big difference is this. So if the off, they're going to add this language, if the officer resigns no later than 10 days After the date of certification of sufficient signatures, the office is vacant and a recall election shall not be held. Did you pick that up? If he resigns, he or she resigns 10 days after the day of certification of sufficient signatures, the office is vacant. Recall election shall not be held. Okay, so it's not just... When they're served, it's when you qualify for the ballot, there's a 10-day period where the person can step down. Why is that a big deal? If anybody wants to comment, why do you think that's a big deal that they want to change it so that if you qualify the recall for the ballot, uh, they would resign instead and go away and there would be no special election? Why do you think that's a big deal? For Democrats in in California, why do you think they want that to happen? I'll let you guys ponder that for a second. Um, Then it goes on to talk about, except as provided in subdivision D, the officer's name shall be placed on the ballot as a candidate if the officer has not resigned pursuant to subdivision A. Um, The officer is moving, there shall be no. For an office filled pursuant to subdivision D... Uh, the majority vote on the question is to recall the officer is removed and there shall be no successor candidacy for that office. What does that mean? Right? So that means that that's, that means, well, come back and run again. Um, it means they can resign 
after so once they know that they're up for a recall that it's official that there's going to be an election no matter what um they can resign they'll just walk away and when you do that if you resign you can appoint somebody so the powers that be can appoint whatever it is county local whatever they can appoint and right there uh roses nailed it be replaced by the next in line meaning they could resign, save the seat, and put in someone else, as opposed to having someone run and replace them. So they want to get rid of this idea of like, well, you can be recalled, but we're not going to let the people pick the replacement. You can get rid of someone, um, but it's not going to change it because we'll just get to pick who the next person up is. Uh, it's still, it's still there, and I think it has to be put to a vote because it's a constitutional amendment. All constitutional amendments um, have to go through a vote, like a proposition. So it's it's not going it, to keep an eye on this. They'll probably try and get this on the ballot for next year to support it because they'll probably say like, oh, this was a travesty. This was, you know, what happened with the recall? This isn't fair. This isn't what it should be. Ha-. Um, but if you know, it's, it's just a little sleight of hand where they say you do all this work, you get all these signatures, you volunteer how many hours and all this stuff. Um, you get the signatures, you get it on the ballot. The politician can just go, okay, I resign. And then they'll just put in somebody else. And you don't, after all that, you may recall them. Uh, but at the end of the day, the powers that be are just going to pick whoever they want in there anyway. So the people's voice is not heard. Excuse me. How can we push back on that legislation? Well, it's probably, it's going to be proposed in a proposition, which means that when it comes out, we're going to have to focus on it. And say that they're trying to take the voice or the power away from the people in this case and just allow people to appoint. Again, this is one of those hypocritical things that if the Republicans were in control, Democrats would never stand for this. They'd be yelling from the rooftops. Elizabeth Warren would be all over the place um, saying how this is taking away people's voice in their government. And, you know, it's not right. So they can put in their cronies. But it's exactly what they're doing. They're using this to try and change the recall because there's been a flurry of recalls going up and down the state. So they're probably trying to change this so that it takes a little bit more of the sting out of it. Um, it's probably going to take more of the sting out of a recall. <clears throat> Excuse me. More more sting out of the recall. When's the vote on that proposition? Um, I don't think it's been published yet, but I found this um, on Westlaw. So it's, uh, let's see if I can get the number for you. Uh, Senate concurrent or constitutional amendment three 2021. So if you want to look up that you can find it anyway, excuse me, I'm going to take some sip of coffee while I clear my throat. Yeah, exactly. If they don't get their way, they change the laws to get their way. Um, and this is just another example of it. And the funny thing is, let me give you a little, we're going to take a little walk down memory lane here. We're going to take a little little walk down. Where did the recall come from? The recall actually was part of a movement by reformers and progressives at the time, back in the turn of like 1911, around that time. Hiram Johnson was one of the big guys. He was uh, a reformer. He was a Teddy Roosevelt kind of Republican, progressive Republican, uh, was all about reform, giving power back to the people. He actually ran with Teddy Roosevelt on the Bull Moose Party when he ran against uh, Woodrow Wilson and Howard Taft in that three-way race. 
Uh, so he was his vice president who was running with him, Hiram Johnson. But it was really reformer Republicans who put a lot of these measures into place, which is ironic because now they look at it and say like, oh, the Republicans are abusing the process. When in reality, it was Republicans who put this in place in the first place. Um, but anyway, so the idea was they wanted to hold political figures and politicians in office. They wanted to hold them accountable. They want to hold them accountable. They want to make it seem like the people can fire you whenever you want. That was the point of a recall. Uh, so that's basically what it is. And now they're trying to water it down. So yeah, you can recall someone and they may resign and you may get rid of them. But at the end of the day, you, you, the people can't be trusted and you can't be, um, trusted to pick who is going to be the replacement. Let us pick who the replacement is going to be. The will of the people is not important. So speaking of people and politicians who look down on other people, uh, and probably should be recalled, uh, Nathan Fletcher, let's talk about Nathan Fletcher. I've talked about him a lot on on this because he is he's a county supervisor down here in San Diego. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. He is a uh, bully. He is a bully. He's a narcissistic bully who is self-righteous and drunk on power. And he believes that he is above everything. He, he believes that he is above um, criticism. He believes that he is above any sort of scrutiny. Um, and yesterday or last night, someone sent, sent it to me early this morning. I got it. He went on a rant. He went on a huge rant about how people are not researching. And he believes that you people are probably too dumb to research it. And you, you don't really understand. And you, you know, did you do this? Did you do X, Y, and Z? And it's like, okay, but did you, Nathan Fletcher, did you pour over how many hundreds and hundreds of studies there are about COVID. Um, I doubt it. I doubt you're actually spending your time every single day going over every single study that's out there about COVID. Uh, so why are you lecturing us about not going over studies? Because you can look at studies up and down and there's studies that prove your point. And there's studies that don't prove your point. But the point is that he's talking down to his constituents and saying, well, did you study this? No, you didn't study it. You didn't research it. And then he dropped an F-bomb, which I think is, you know, a, a, about par for him and his wife. Um, his wife dropped an F-bomb, too. They're, they're just absolute bullies when it comes to politicians. And, you know, you can disagree with people on their policy and say, I don't like your policy. But Nathan Fletcher and his wife, Lorena Gonzalez, do not conduct themselves in a professional manner. And that's just the the long and short of it. Um even if he, okay, he nor anyone who knows acutely wrote that post, shame on him for not tagging that person who actually wrote that. Well, either way, either way, if he stole it and posted it, it's an endorsement on his part um, to say that. Why would you even share that? Why would you share that as a politician to share, to share that that's what your thoughts are without tagging like somebody else and saying, well, this is somebody else. And I, I think they have some good points. Instead, you just put that out on your Instagram and say, just saying. So Nathan Fletcher is, um, yeah, Nathan Fletcher's wife is Lorena Gonzalez. So the the two of them are bullies. They think they're above everybody. Um, they're, they're just unprofessional politicians. And th this is the problem with California Democrats is that they get to a point where they are so full of power and drunk on power because they believe no one's going to recall them or, or do anything about it or vote them out 
that they just figure they can do whatever, they can say whatever, they can talk a bit, they can talk down to people. And that's not right. You know, at, at a certain point, I thought, well, he's going to be gone next year. There's really no reason to recall Nathan Fletcher. Um, however, at this point, I think you got to recall the guy just out of principle because you got to recall him and say, you're horrible. You're, I'm sorry. You're, you're categorically horrible. Yeah, Luciano. Uh, he was a Republican. And he did switch to win. I think I've told this story before. I'll give you the quick rundown. He was a Republican. He wanted to run for mayor of San Diego. The San Diego Republicans didn't back him. He got all uh, bent out of shape. But became a Democrat. And now he's a, a darling of the Democrats. So he, he only cares about what is going to be his next political move. He's a, he's a noodles bootlicker. Um, whatever noodles tells him to do, he's obviously going to go with it. Same thing with Todd Gloria. They're both noodles bootlickers. Um, so, I mean, he's another issue. But at this point, I think there's got to be a concerted effort to get Nathan Fletcher out. Um and I think it could be done. I think there's a lot of people who are very frustrated with him. There's a lot of people who are tired of him. They're tired of his condescending attitude. Um, if you looked at the comments, there's a lot of people who were like, this is really unbecoming of someone uh, in your stature to, to say this. Um, that's it. I mean, Nathan Fletcher is someone who he is just a bully. He is a narcissistic power drunk county supervisor. And I think we got to recall him. I think we got to organize and I think we got to recall him. And I think he's got to be put back in his place and show that him and his wife are not, they're not invincible. You know, she could be recalled too. So we could start recalling everybody. And if you tuned into a lot of those videos I posted yesterday, a lot of great people who were there at the San Diego County Board of Supervisors meeting, which, Hey, Props to us, San Diego. Uh, San Diego is becoming the, the last stand when it comes to uh, freedom in the big cities, really, because you don't see this kind of pushback in L.A. or San Francisco. San Diego is pushing back hard. Um, so props to all of them. You know, praise all those people who got up there and told Nathan Fletcher to his face that we're on to you and we're going to come for you and you're going to be recalled next. I think it's time to do it. I think it's time to to recall Nathan Fletcher. Um, and if nothing else, yeah, I think it's it's going to send a message to Nathan Fletcher. But anyway, all right. Epic nine hour day. Yeah, he was probably all tired and he, you know, he had a rough day, you know, getting paid two over $200,000 to be a county supervisor. Am I informed about George Gascon? Yeah, um, he's still... There's still a recall going on for him. Um, LA is tough. LA, you're really deep behind enemy lines. San Francisco, I feel like you're really deep behind enemy lines. But San Diego, we're making a stand. You know, there's a lot of good people here in San Diego. I feel like, you know, we're a purple city. We're we're um, very mixed. And I think this is where you have to make your last stand is here in, in San Diego. Because you got to make an example. You got to make an example of these, you know, up in Shasta County, they're trying to recall everybody, and the, the county supervisors are running scared from that. Um, all right. What's the last thing I want to talk about that we can get into to comments and stuff like that and questions? Um, Afghanistan. Not really California politics, uh, but I kind of went off the rails a little bit last week about Afghanistan, mostly because it's one issue that I get really upset about. I know people are very divided about it. Um, and 
it's a tough subject. I'm going to say that I've always been anti-war. It's a, it's exactly the reason why I got interested in politics when I was younger. It was right around the time I became, we went into Iraq and Afghanistan, all that stuff it was right around the time that I was getting old enough to vote. So I had gotten really into politics, mostly because of wars, because of Iraq and Afghanistan, feeling like George Bush lied to us. Um, and I've been vehemently anti-war ever since. And it's one issue that I really, I, I don't, you know, I, I usually am pretty open-minded about. It's one issue that I'm really stuck on, that I dig my heels in. I don't think war is good for anybody. I don't think, I think we've gotten to a point in our society where we don't need wars anymore. And I know a lot of people are gonna be like, well, we need wars and we need stuff like that. And I'm like, I, I don't really understand what's your justification for war, like full war. I don't know if we really need any justification for full war. Is there a need for military intervention? If humanitarian issues, I don't know. You'd have to persuade me about that. Um, and in, in those terms, is it an international coalition? It should be an international coalition. It's uh, it's really at this point, if we're supposed to be a globalist society and we trust the UN and NATO and all that stuff, why are international coalitions going in and doing a lot of this humanitarian effort and stuff like that? At this point, we've been stuck in a mindset for the better part of almost 100 years since the end of World War II that we are somehow the world's policemen. And I know I'm going to, you know, if you disagree, you can put it in the comments. That's the point of this is for us to have a, a discussion about this. We've been stuck in this mindset since the end of World War II that we have to be the world's policemen, that we have to intervene in everything. And the end of World War II left a lot of military bases all over the world. And there's a reason why I believe that they want to keep military bases all over the world. People say, well, it's because we need to respond fast. Respond to what? Like, what are we responding to halfway around the world that really is something of our concern that we have to send men and women in to potentially die and spend taxpayer dollars on? What is it that we're, we're doing? What What is it that we need to jump back into? And, you know, people are like, well, we need a spot in Germany. We've had bases in Germany since the end of World War II. We have bases in Japan since the end of World War II and Korea War and all that stuff. And the issue is, is when you set up all these different military bases, then all of a sudden, anything can really become, well, we have to respond because it's, there, there is something that may be uh, interfering or infringing on our interests in that area. So if you have a base everywhere, you have the justification of, well, we have to intervene and send our military in because our interests are being threatened abroad. That I don't think really makes a lot of sense. Um, it's part of this like American imperialism that is really overdone. Um, it spent countless of tax dollars. They warned about this idea of like letting the military become this huge military industrial complex. And just look at the numbers. I mean, look at the numbers of what happened in Afghanistan. $144 billion went to just construction, just trying to rebuild Afghanistan, this idea of nation building. $144 billion went to try and rebuild Afghanistan. $19 billion of that just disappeared. We don't know. It's fraud, abuse, it's waste. How much of it probably made it into people who weren't supposed to have it, corrupt political or military contractors, how much of that was wasted? $19 billion. And that's just Afghanistan. We're not talking about in Iraq and all this. 
we have to stop the the nation building. Um, the the nation building of America should be over. Maybe even then, the argument to me is flimsy. Why after World War II we had to set up bases and do the Marshall Plan and, and stop communism? Even then, I think the argument is really flimsy because. If you would let communism spread to a certain point, it would have collapsed on itself. And I, I don't know if containing communism, like I said about Vietnam, I don't know if even going to Vietnam really made any sense. You could have just let communism fall on its own because at a certain point, it's such a disastrous program. It's just a disastrous way of running a country. Sooner or later, they were going to collapse under their own weight. They weren't ever going to be able to keep up with free market countries like the USA. Um, so... This idea of nation building and America had to be the world's police. Um, Cuba hasn't. Cuba is very close. I mean, Cuba's already collapsing. And the only reason they do it is because through sheer force. Um, in, what, in, in that case, that's like it just needs like a domino or something. Um, but at this point, the world has caught up with the, with America. We've The rest of the world has caught up since World War II. You know, the, the wreckage of World War II is long over. Our allies are well-equipped or not well-equipped because they believe America is going to come in and save the day every single time. Um, and that's a reason why a lot of these European countries don't have to worry about military is because the U S will just protect them. Um, at this point, it's really a point where we go, okay, you know, we, we did our part to help the world after world war two. Um, and yeah, we're, we're done. Like we have to start focusing back on our own country. If there's an issue, We'll, we'll help you address it, but it's got to be an international coalition. Um, so that's my feelings about Afghanistan. It probably couldn't have been any worse. And I don't think there's really any good way to leave these areas. I, I don't I don't think there was any good way. And I think people like Liz Cheney who were like, well, we shouldn't have left like that. Um, well, how would you have proposed we leave or left? We spent 20 years and over a trillion dollars in Afghanistan. What's your solution? Oh, if we just spent, I don't know, an extra five years in Afghanistan and spent, you know, a half a trillion dollars more, we would have that that would have put it over the edge. And it, and it's hard to really and when you look at it through an American lens, like a Western lens. It's hard to really wrap your head around the problems that go on in the Middle East. And a lot of these issues that go on in the Middle East, people don't really understand. That these are fuse that have been going on for generations and generations and generations. And America coming in and trying to rebuild the country is not going to change anything over 20 years. It's, it's not going to change anything unless we completely occupy the country and wait for another 100 years to change the entire landscape of the country. As we're seeing, we're seeing that we left, we left a power vacuum and they went right back to doing what they were doing before we came in. Um, so it's hard for people, in the, I think, from an American perspective, from a Western perspective to look at this and go, well, I don't understand why we did all this stuff. Why aren't they, why aren't they listening? You know, why aren't they, they building their own country or stuff like that? Because these feuds have been going on for a lot longer than 20 years. That's for sure. And they will continue going on. And there's a lot of tribal warfare. Um, there's a lot of issues with religious sex. There's, a, I mean, it's just, it's a very, very complicated area. And us coming in and dropping a trillion dollars is not going to change anything. Um, so I don't know. 
Australia is a socialist country. That's my take. I, I am vehemently anti-war. Um, the only time I, I think war is acceptable, I, I, I don't even really know if in today's day and age, if we're ever going to go back to a, like a traditional hot war of like, you know, troops on a battlefield going against each other, it probably will never be that ever again. We're at a point now with technology and drones and computers and, and monetaries that like, there's a lot of ways to wage war without putting troops on a battlefield lined up against each other and just fighting it out. It, like, I think those days are long gone. Um, I, I don't really know. I don't know what would justify a war. I would like to have Congress vote on wars again. I think the Military Authorization Act of 2001 needs to be repealed. I think that needs to stop. Um, and I think it needs to go back to Congress waging war. And a lot of people, a lot of people in Congress probably don't want that responsibility. We've talked about that before. A lot of these politicians don't really want the responsibility of having to make these hard decisions. They want to just keep kicking it down the road. But that's a whole different issue. Whole different issue separately. Anyway, that's my feeling about Afghanistan. It's a mess. I, I think anybody who had pulled out, whether it was Trump or Biden, I think it was it was going to be uh, a mess either way. And I think they probably would have made a deal with Trump. They would have left. And I think they would have broke that deal almost immediately. Uh, what about war for crimes against humanity? Uh, I mean, what about wars or what about the crimes against humanity waged or, or conducted by our wars? I mean, that's something we never talk about. And it always seems to be the last gasp, uh, excuse for continuing to stay there indefinitely is, well, we can't leave because of humanitarian reasons. Okay. But let's talk about how many humanitarian violations Americans or our allies have conducted. Like it's not it's not like this zero sum game. Like it's not like everything that our side does or is somehow benevolent and, and wonderful and completely humanitarian. You know, you had Obama bombing and drone striking civilians and children and weddings and stuff like that. What about those humanitarian crises? What about those violations of humanitarian rights? So we always kind of say, well, we have to stay because of the humanitarian crisis but we overlook the humanitarian crimes or issues conducted on our own by doing so. And I'm not putting any blame on service members. You know, they, they serve our country. They sacrifice. They're the, um, they're putting their lives on the line. God bless them. And they're here to do what they're told. They signed up. They want to help our save our, uh, protect our country. They're given orders. And sometimes they, you know, it's just how it is over there. So that's really, uh, something we have to look at. And, and I think we always kind of look at, well, if we don't do anything, what would happen? Well, what people don't ever look at the flip side, which is, well, if we do, what will happen? What will happen if we do go in to these areas and wage war or do drone strikes or do all this stuff? Um, nobody ever wants to look at that. Everybody just goes, well, if we don't do anything, it'll, it'll be, it'll be, you know, it'll be really bad. Um, so, we should go in. That's, that's the argument to go. Um, but we never talk about the other side of like what happens if we do go in and what, what, what's going to be the consequences, what's going to be the downsides of that. And, you know, both sides are guilty. You know, both sides are absolutely guilty. I, I posted this the other day and said, uh, 
before you let a lot of these neocons try and do a victory lap and try and dunk on Biden and say, oh, look, Biden screwed it up. And, you know, Biden's such a bad president. A lot of these neocons supported Afghanistan. You know, the Marco Rubios supported this. You know, the Liz Cheney's, um, they, they supported this. And now they're trying to dunk on people and they're trying to dunk on Biden and say, like, it's his fault. It was sort of like a hot potato and whoever ended up with it at the end was going to get the blame. And that's why I say, like, even if Trump was reelected, I think he could have been he could have been dealing with this mess as well. And and it's not easy. It's not easy to just get up and leave. It's not easy to just, you know, we could have been seeing this in May based on his deadline. But anyway, those are my thoughts about Afghanistan. Um, you can we, we can discuss it. I'm going to tell you right now, I, I don't really. It's one issue that I, I kind of stick my heels in on about. I don't think war is necessary. I think we're more of a civilized society. I don't think we need war. Um, I think it's uh, archaic. I think it's barbaric to be waging war at this point in our society. It's a waste. It's a waste of lives. People don't ever look at the the unintended consequences of war, how many families it destroys, mental health, uh, veterans issues, how much money we waste in there. It's just, it's just all bad. It's just all, all bad. I don't, I don't know anything like, and, and Afghanistan is a perfect example of we spent. Sorry about that. We spent about, you know, 20 years and a trillion dollars and we got nothing and we got nothing out of it. Um, that's it. You know? So at the end of the day, you look at it and go, well, then what was the point? Why did we do it all? Anyway, let's not end on a somber note. That's my feelings about Afghanistan, uh, what's going on over there. Uh, so let me hear some of your comments or questions or stuff you want to chat about. I've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, and then uh, it's a different culture and they don't want to be a modern person. It, yeah, it, we're, we're trying to view it through like American lens and be like, uh, why aren't they why aren't they listening? You know, it's like the Afghan military. Like we spent all this money to train the Afghan military. Um, and then they ended up abandoning their post the minute we left. It's because, you know, you have, you have corrupt generals, you have corrupt generals withholding their pay. They're scared of the Taliban retaliating against their family. You know, for us, it's like, well, why didn't they stay and fight? Because it's different over there. It's hard to really put yourself in their shoes. Uh, all right. Let's go against. Let's check out some comments. Do, 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 do. My friend is stuck in Kabul and not getting help to get out. That's awful. It's just awful. And Biden's on vacation. You know, Biden's uh, he's got to go to Camp David. He's got to get his, his sleepy. He's got to get his night nights. You know, probably the biggest international crisis in American uh history for a long time and uh our president just decided i'm going to go back to camp david and not really care about this um so it's not that they don't they, they don't really believe they believe in a whole bunch of different things the orange lady is on vacation too who's the orange lady how many signatures to recall fletcher uh it depends on who voted in his district so the thing about recalling a county supervisor or anybody, you have to get the signatures from the district that they represent. You can't just go around like San Diego County and get a whole bunch of signatures. So he's district four here in county supervisors, which would mean that everybody in district, there's a lot of people in district four. 
so I think it's a certain percentage, whether it's 9% or 12%. I don't know. It changes based on what level you're at. Um, oh, the circle back lady. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. Jen Psaki is also on vacation. Everyone's on vacation. You know, it's the biggest international crisis in 20 years or, or however many years. And, and Biden and his entire administration are just like that. Eh, whatever. They just kind of stick their head in the sand. Like maybe we just pretend it won't go. It'll go away. Um, so but I don't, it's funny to see the corporate press is not letting them get away with it. So I'm kind of happy to see the corporate press is holding their feet to the fire and be like, are you going to answer any of our questions? Or are you just going to run away back to Camp David? Uh, but what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Recall Nathan Fletcher. Uh, there's a certain amount that you have to get um, to get it at least started. So and I think that's I'm really blanking here. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not really super into like the specifics. I know that the process is first you have to get enough people to qualify to serve them. And then once you get that, it's like a small number. I think it's like 95 or 75 or something like that. You can get that many signatures. Then you go and you say, okay, hey, we're serving you with this notice that you're being recalled. You have a chance to rebut it and oppose it. Um, and then the, they tell you the process and they say, you have a deadline, you have to get this many signatures. And if you get this many signatures, then that person is recalled. So it's doable. Oh, thanks, Molly. It was a busy one. This was a really busy live. This was a busy episode. That's for sure. A lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. And there's going to be more to talk about. Like I said, going, going live later, uh, hopefully Brandon Tatum to talk more about the major Williams lawsuit. And then later, uh, we're going to sit down and Brian and I are going to sit and talk about the ballot and we're going to talk about everybody and we're going to talk about the candidate statements and stuff like that. We're going to go over it. Um, remember you can vote in person, Con you know, contrary to the common misconception, it's not all mail-in ballots. You can go vote in person. So if you can go vote in person, that's really, it's really just two questions, you know, just that's all it is. You don't have to study up on it. Um, you may have to study up on who you want to vote for, but that's really about it. Um, and then next week is another debate that's going to be aired on all the different, like, I think it's KCRA in San Francisco. What is that? Is that NBC or something like that? One of the local channels. They're going to have another gubernatorial debate with the three Kevins. We're going to have Kevin Faulkner, Kevin Kiley, and Kevin Paffrath, and John Cox. Um, and this time... I'm working on the drinking rules. If you have any suggestions for drinking rules games, uh, we're going to have a little bit of a fun drinking game while we're watching and I'll be live streaming the whole thing. So grab your drinks and we'll have a fun time watching and, and drinking. Um, so, you know, one of the rules right off the bat is whenever John Cox mentions he's a businessman or something about being a businessman, you have to take a drink or something like that. But I'll post those next week closer to the event. So we'll do a live and we'll sit and we'll watch the debate with these drinking rules, make it a little bit more fun. Have, have have a good time with it. Um, all right, let's see what other comments you guys have. No ballot yet. If you don't receive your ballot, I think it's within seven days of when they're supposed to send it out, contact your registrar, right? I, I got a text that said, your ballot should have been mailed out. If you don't receive it within seven days, contact us and we'll make sure we get it out to you. So any issues, always go straight to your county registrar. Um, don't Go to the state. Don't go to the secretary of state. Your counties are running your elections. So make sure that whenever you do this, you go to uh, specifically your county registrar and ask them for help because that's what they're supposed to be doing. 
Dems are more afraid of the Arizona audit. It's been kind of quiet on the Arizona. I haven't really heard anything about that. Uh, I'm not a hardcore Trump person, but why are they blaming him exactly for this mess? Uh, well, I mean, why do they blame him for anything? They're probably blaming him because he came up with that May 1st deadline and they wanted to stand by it. So they're somehow blaming the fact that it's really Trump's fault for setting this up and setting by up for failure, even though it's been how many months at a certain point. You can't keep blaming the prior administration. Like maybe in the first couple months, you can say, well, we're, we're cleaning out the old people. We're getting new people in and we haven't gotten around. It. You know, you could have that excuse when you're about six months in the excuse of the private, the prior administration did it to us. doesn't really fly anymore. So of course they're going to blame it on Trump. I mean, Biden blamed it on everybody, but himself, even though he said, I'm going to take full responsibility for it. Do, 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 do. Just going back on your comments. If you have any more questions, Kevin P was at the state Capitol on Monday during the protest, by the way, I'm the one I posted a pic from the protest on your discord. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the discord, I always mention the discord. If you want to get offline off Instagram, uh, there's a lot of conversation going on over at the discord. It's, it's becoming quite a little place where it, it brings a little, little, Glimmer of, you know, it, it, it makes my heart skip a beat when I see the, the discord being active and people chatting and connecting and, and organizing amongst themselves. It's it makes me happy. So if you want to join the discord, you can go join there. Uh, there's all these different channels for different local areas. We now have one for recall. So if people want to start organizing recalls, they can go there and start organizing and talk to each other off the Instagram platform, because Lord knows anything you do on Instagram is always monitored and they're always talking and they're always looking at stuff. Um, so if you feel like you want a little bit of a safer offline presence, go to discord. The link is in my bio. You can go join there and, uh, yeah, connect with other people. It's, it's got a lot of people in there who are now just kind of enjoying the discord, enjoying free conversation, uh, distractions from audits coming preliminary results going to Arizona Senate any minute. Is that today? I haven't heard anything about it. I went through that coffee pretty fast. I should have had two cups of coffee. You may have got ballots from others if the person hasn't updated their address from the DMV or account kind of registrars. Yeah. There's a lot of people who, uh, when they like leave a state, they forget that they have to re-register and let their old state know that they're no longer on the ballot. You would think that in today's day and age, it would be somehow automated to the point where if you registered in another state and you said, hey, I'm a voter over here that the state over here would get notification of it. But I mean, that's just one issue of many with our voter rolls right now. Uh, what will be the outcome from the audits? Not holding my hopes up. Uh, it'll show that there was some funky business going on. That's basically it. I know there's a lot of people who are like, well, Trump will be reinstated by August, whatever. I think we blew past that date. So it's probably been pushed out by people to say, oh, it'll be this date. He'll be reinstated. Um, there's no reinstatement policy in the constitution. So I don't know what people think is going to happen in terms of reinstatement. Uh, it may show that Arizona was deeply compromised and that they need to act and, and shore up their, Oh, they say it's September now. Okay. Well, they keep pushing it out. You know, it's, it's kind of like those, 
It's like those end of the world cults that are like, oh, did did we say it's like May 15th that the world's going to we read it wrong. We read the Aztec calendar wrong. It's not May 15th. It's going to be, you know, September 15th of 2020. That's when the world's going to end. Um, yeah, it'll give a template for how to run future elections in a more secure way. Yeah, it's. It, it's going to show people that like there was a lot of funny business. If it comes out and there's all this stuff that like, oh, and there's all this stuff and if ballots were changed and and Dominion was was bad, um, then it's going to just provide the template and proof for people to say then we need to shore up our voting system, especially in Arizona. Then they have to say, well, then we got to do something about it because right now Republican uh, Republicans control a lot in Arizona. So if they want to change it, this is really the opportunity for them to really crack down and change it. One thing I heard from somebody, which is I think is really important, um, is they need to get rid of this proprietary technology of coding. I think if there's electronic voting systems, you have to make your code public. You have to make your code public so that people can look at it and, and go through it. There should be absolutely no reason why uh, we, the people, cannot look at code that is counting our ballots. It's like why we look at people who you can go observe an election poll and see people put ballots into a thing, but you can't see the code that is counting the ballots electronically. So I think that that rule, that should just be across the board everywhere that we need to be able to see the code. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of smart coders out there who could look at it and say, Hey, there's something in here. There's a, and if, and, um, that shouldn't be in secret. If you're going to do electronic voting, it has to be public. You, you, If you get the contract to do that, and it's pretty lucrative if you're the company that gets the contract to do all the elections in a state, uh, you one of your trade-offs is you got to make your code public. And they may say, well, it's trade secrets. and trade. Well, yeah, who cares? You know what? If that's your whole thing and that's what you're worried about, you could still, can't, I, I'm pretty sure you can still sue somebody over stealing your code or whatever. Um, because it's still some sort of trade secret, trade liable. I don't know. I'm not an IP attorney, so I don't really know. But anyway, that's one thing I think needs to really be implemented. I think that needs to be implemented that we need to be able to see the code. But in terms of what would happen, like there, there is no reinstatement of Trump. Like I'm just want to put that out there. It's not like Trump's going to re-enter Washington uh, you know, on a victorious note with a parade or something like that and take over the white house again. Like we, we need to start focusing on other things at this point. Like, and I feel like especially doing it for a while now, it's been almost a year. It's only, it hasn't even been a full year since the election and hearing from followers and listeners is I think the excitement around Trump is slowly subsiding. That's just my own anecdotal feeling is that I feel like people are kind of losing steam and the whole like Trump, like, you know, we have to get Trump back in office or we want him to run 2024. That's my feeling. I mean, that could just be this section of voters. Anyway, any other questions? Uh, A couple more minutes and then I got to hop off because I got a lot of stuff to do today. It's a very, very busy day in the office. Um, But yeah, that's about it. All right. If any, if no one else has any other questions, 2024 should be DeSantis. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Um, I think it's got to be Ron DeSantis at this point.
Um, I hear more people saying they don't want him to run again. Yeah. See, I, I, I think the, the, the fervor of people is that they're kind of over the Trump thing. They may continue the platform that Trump has kind of put out there. I mean, he's reshaped the Republican Party in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think they don't necessarily want Trump to run again. I think they want people like DeSantis to run on a populist style, uh, a, a populist style platform. Um, Trump is smart as you are all weak sauce. Uh, I mean, I'm not criticizing whether he's smart or not. I just don't think he should run again. Um, he, he may have, he, that may have been his role. His role may have been to just open that door for a lot of people to kind of change their minds. He may have been the paradigm shift and then everything after this, really, uh, DeSantis and Rand, DeSantis or Rand or DeSantis and Rand. I agree. Um, I would say DeSantis. I think DeSantis right now. Um, I would say DeSantis and... I've said this before, and I know people are going to be like, oh, you're just playing identity politics. Well, you can go back to listen to my thoughts about identity politics um, when there's good and bad identity politics. I, I think DeSantis needs to run with a Latina woman. That's my thought, um, especially in Florida. You know, I think that would be a game changer. I mean, there's people. Maria Salazar is a congress. Uh, she's a congresswoman. She's Cuban. Uh, she flipped a seat in Florida. I think she flipped a seat. So I think she would be somebody to have. Um, so I think absolutely DeSantis and insert Latina politician right there. And um so Maria Salazar comes to mind and is America first yet. Well, look at Maria Salazar. The only thing I know you're all going to say, and you're all going to find out is that she voted. Did she vote for or against the impeachment? I don't know. Anyway, we're moving on. We're moving on. I think we're moving on from Trump spicy Latina in the white house. I'd love that. Yeah. I mean, it'd be the first Hispanic presidential vice presidential candidate right to win the office so i think that's definitely something to to look at um but that's my i've said that before um that's my take i think if if ron DeSantis wants to go all the way and take it that would be the best i don't think two white guys is going to be good i think biden kind of ruined you know biden kicked that door down I don't know if he kicked that door down. It's more like somebody opened it for him to get through with his walker. Uh, but now that that's been done, I think uh, Mex yeah, Mexican woman in office. I think that a Mexican woman in office is not smart right now coming from a Mexican woman. Um, interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Maria Salazar. She's a congresswoman from Florida. I think she won or flipped a seat in Miami. So... Please look in the center of pan trying to take protesting rights away. Yeah, I saw that. And I brought it up with Kevin Kiley last week. Uh, if you want to hear his response, it's uh, you can go back and listen to the episode on the podcast. I asked him directly about it, and his flat-out answer was, um, that's an infringement of your First Amendment rights. So. Mm -mm 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 -mm. 
All right. On that note, I do have to get going. I do have a lot of work to do. Um, thank you everybody for tuning in. As always, we do this, uh, every nine, uh, every Wednesday at 9am coffee and California politics. We sit, we chat, we talk about California politics and some, a little bit of national politics as well. Thank you as always for the support. We'll be doing some lives. So keep an eye out for that tonight, tomorrow night, another podcast, uh, with my buddy Ryan Carlson. He's an employment attorney. We're going to talk about employment issues. So if you have questions, you can certainly ask him. Uh, disclaimer, doesn't create any sort of attorney-client relationship. It's just a conversation that we're having. Uh, so that, and then tonight, more talk about the Major Williams, hopefully with Brandon Tatum. And then Brian Burley at eight o'clock, we're going to go live and talk about the ballot and the next week on Tuesday is going to be the debate. So keep an eye out for the drinking game rules. We're going to all have a good time. Uh, we're going to sit, we're going to watch it. We're going to have a, we're going to have a hell of a time uh, watching the debate. Might as well throw some fun into it, right? Why not? Um, you know, the last one was kind of boring. I thought it just was all of them piling on governor, governor noodles. So with that said, thank you everybody. I will see you later tonight. If not next tomorrow, you know, there's going to be plenty of times anyway. Thanks for tuning in. Everyone stay safe. Later. for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it, and follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 